Welcome to a Redemption's Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption's Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. to cover the last verses in Romans chapter 3 together. The the best way to kind of see and grasp what happens in the text that we're going to go into today, uh, though, is for just to take a a quick second, we're going to backtrack for just a moment and and read back over the verses that we covered uh, last week. I'm a pretty visual learner, so so I took a moment and took the liberty of just kind of underlining in that text from last week every phrase or line or idea or attribute uh, or action that is about God. And as we read that, what I, what I want you to do, what we have to understand to make uh, really sense out of the text that we're going to come to next for today is, is we need to see Paul's precise aim. He's really careful. And what he's going to do is he's going to give 10 different times where he talks about God's work, God's provision, God's righteousness, God's actions, God's attributes, and the only thing about humanity listed is we're all sinful and fall short of all that. And this is extremely important. All of God's work he wants you to see here. So let's read back the text from last week. That'll be uh, chapter 3, starting 21 through 26 to look for that, and then we'll move on for the text for today. But now, we start immediately, the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ, whom uh, God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because his divine forbearance had passed over former sins. You catch on the idea? It was his righteousness at the present time so that he may be just and justifier of the one who has faith in in Jesus. So so real quick, we, we hear of God's righteousness, not ours, four times. Uh, we hear that we are justified by grace, that grace is a, a gift initiated by God. We hear of uh, the redemption that is in Christ alone twice, that is put forward by God. It says by his blood, this is Jesus. It talks about his divine forbearance. This is God's. Uh, God passed over sin so that he may be just and justifier back to about Jesus. Paul is making sure that there is literally no doubt when we read this text that God did the work, God intervened, and God acted. He supplies the righteousness. He made the plan. He did the work on that backdrop of just this overwhelming sense of look at what all God has done. That's how we come into the end of chapter three. And that's the only way to really understand what Paul is doing. So the overwhelming sense of God's righteousness, God's action, God's movement leads us to verse 27. Then what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For uh, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we ask that you do your work in us this morning. We need you. We need to see you. 
the, the weight of this text just bears heavy today. I pray that you would help us, uh, that you would create humble hearts, that you would create people that want to be more like their Savior, that we would see our Savior's hand and see the implications of that in our life. We just ask, be glorified, do your work, Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, the path that Paul's woven in Romans so far is pretty clear. Sin wrecked humanity. Uh, the irreligious and religious person both stand condemned because of their sin. The irreligious person often just tries to like ignore it, like, ah, oh, it's no big deal, and to no avail, that doesn't help them. And the religious person often tries to make up for it. I'll just kind of barter and trade with God, and, and, and we'll kind of be okay. And that also is to no avail. No matter which approach we fall into, the religious or the irreligious approach to things, judgment still awaits all of us. This is what Paul had led us to, which begs the question, how do unrighteous, unjust people stand any chance? How do they have a shot of meeting God in in judgment um, when they fall short? And Paul answers this question for us in what we covered last week. We have a chance through Christ and Christ alone. This is the good news. God has made a plan to save us, and God has supplied the righteousness in Jesus for us. We had none of our own, no righteousness of our own to bring to the table, and God supplies the righteousness for us in Jesus, and Jesus pays the price for our sin, taking the full cup of God's wrath. This is the good news of how God changes our eternity through Christ. Christ has made a way for us to be justified, for us, the unjust, to be considered just. He supplied the resume to kind of cover our spiritual rap sheet. And Christ has also let us stand before God clean and faultless and holy and as adopted sons and daughters. Paul wants us to see um, this excellent work of God through Christ isn't just meant to affect our eternity, though. It's what we need to grasp a hold of. It, It doesn't just show itself when we die. The good news breaks into our moments right now, the moment that we are at, that we are saved, and it begins to just kind of change our life from the inside out in the here and the now and reorient things from the moment after salvation. Far too many believers, they kind of walk as if uh, salvation is, is, a total, is eternal soul insurance that just kind of kicks in when they kick the bucket, and that's, that's not at all the message of the Bible. When Paul described already, no, no, in Romans 1, the gospel is dynamite. It's dynamic power that comes in and it blows up the old man or the old woman to bring about new life in us. In other words, God doesn't just save us to bring people out of hell only. He saves them into his kingdom now to live in this new life, in this new kingdom, in the new way of the king now so that we can be the light of the world and the salt of the earth and we can be sanctified to look more like our our Savior. It's not just later it affects us, it is now. Another way to, to put it is the last sermon talks about the how of salvation. How, how does it work? In this text shows us how salvation then works itself out as we're actually living. It shows the implications of salvation on a life once they are saved. The three major areas of implication that we're going to look at through this text are going to be boasting, unity, and our relationship to the law. Boasting unity in our relationship to the law. Verse 27, what then becomes of boasting? It is excluded. 
It's not a part of the gospel. It's not a part of the saved life. It's not supposed to be a part of a heart that's made new by the gospel. Paul says, therefore, because of all that I've told you before, because of what a salvation is, because of how justification works, because you had no righteousness of your own, just the righteousness of Christ, and that salvation was given to you as a gift and a gift of grace. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. You didn't make yourself in a position to get it because salvation comes in and through and because of Jesus alone, because of all that, what do we do with boasting? It's excluded. We throw it out. It has no part. And Christ alone means we don't boast in us anymore. See, boasting is a term here that comes from the battlefield. And as a soldier, how can you stand in confidence? Imagine old days. You're not, you're not in tanks. You're not in a, in a room hitting a button with a drone. You, you're, you're two guys on the edge of fields. How can one guy stand in front of the other and have confidence to advance in battle against the other guy? How, how, do, you, how do you do that? The only way is in your heart to, to, to say to your heart or scream out loud to the other person, we are better than you, we are stronger than you, we are more equipped than you, we have more men than you, we have, we, we're just better in every way, we are going to tear you up. This is boasting. It's sizing up other people or another group and looking for ways that, that you're better or stronger or superior to them. It's, it's, it's a sizing up of other people. Now, now, here's the reality, because we're like, well, we're not soldiers, but whether you're a soldier or a stay-at-home mom or a single person or no, no matter where you are at, the hard reality is all of us, we love to boast, even if we don't say a word. John Stott says this, and it stood out to me, boasting is the language of our fallen uh, self-centeredness. It's the language that our heart outside of Christ loves to use. And Tim Keller, we're going to lean into a lot of other people in parts of this text. Uh, Tim Keller explains it well by saying, what you boast in is what gives you confidence. It's what gives you bravado. It's, it's what gives you the assuredness that you can face the day. It's the thing that, that you say, I am a somebody because I have that. It's the thing uh, to which you say, I, I, I am um, a somebody because I do that. It's what makes you say, well, I can, I can beat whatever comes my way because I am that. I do that. I, I get that. I, I have that. that. That's me. It's, it's that kind of bravado that sticks in there. This means what you boast about is fundamentally what defines you. It's how you define who you are. It's where you draw your sense of identity, where you draw your sense of self-worth, your confidence, your ability to set forward out in the day. But notice what we boast in what we draw our confidence in it seems dangerously close to what we actually worship. It seems close to what is actually our God. If we boast in, in what defines us and gives us life and confidence and joy, th- those are terms of the things that give us life. Therefore, those things can't come from us. They only come from Christ if we are in Christ. So we need to step back a moment and, and look at the context to which Paul is writing. This context affects us greatly But look at their context. Historically, Jews and Gentiles hated each other, like really hated each other. Jews called Gentiles dogs, and not in like the California sense where they like carry around dogs and like them, like dirty, nasty, get out of my house dog. 
They called them dogs. If a Gentile would walk down the road, a Jew would generally cross the road and go, I don't, I don't want to get your dogness, your evilness, your, 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 your inferiority on me. It oozes out of you. I don't, I don't want any part of it. And they would, they would literally get away from them because they thought they were such dirty and vile creatures. They obviously would not associate with Gentiles very much. There was this innate thing inside of them that just believed we're better. We're better than them. We're superior. We're better humans than the Gentiles. We haven't, we're figured out we're smarter than they are. They're, they're just, ah, there's, there's nasty people and we're, we're, we're not that. And yet Paul has just said this, because of Jesus at the cross, because of the justification, remember that's the pronouncement of God over us, because he pronounces us just, there is now no distinction between Jew and Gentile. He's taking away, going, no, 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 you can't, you, you can't call them a dog, you call them brother. There's no distinction. You're not different. Remember, if salvation isn't earned, if grace is a gift because the only righteousness that there is is the righteousness of Jesus, and that's given to you, then the Jewish believer can't stand across from the Gentile one and boast anymore. What does that mean for us? It means we can't, as believers, stand across from another believer and boast about them either. Why? The, the cross levels the ground. There, there is no boasting. It is Christ and Christ alone in his righteousness, in his work, in, in, in his resume, in his love, in his mercy alone. It kills boasting. Philippians 3, 4 through 8. This is Paul. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. He's saying, though I have reason to boast. If anyone thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has a reason to boast, I got more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Like he's listing out who he's been, but whatever I gained I had, I count it all as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul says again, if, if anyone has the ability to boast in their resume, it was, it was me. Right? Before I put my confidence in me, I boasted in me and, and my people and what I'd done. Circumcised on the eight deal, the, the, the zeal and, and, and the follower of the law. I'm, I'm a rock star at following the, the law. He's saying, you know, okay, I came from the right family in the right town. And I went to the right school and worked for the right people. And I had the right connections and I had the right education and the right skills and the right drive and the right devotion. I had everything that anybody in my shoes could ever hope to have. And yet all the things that I gained that I once boasted in account as loss and rubbish because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. I want to do a full deep dive into the actual word translation here, but the word translated as rubbish is not rubbish. The word that he uses is more like excrement, but not the PG version of it. If you're following me, he's saying this, all the things I earned were literally like the sewer compared to Jesus. All the accolades, all the things that you and I would put in uh, on a LinkedIn page or post about on Facebook or put on Instagram or anything like that, all of the things that we would brag about in our lives that, get, that gave us some sense of, 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 of worthiness, all of them are worthless in reality. Why? Because they don't fix the real problem that we have. They, they, they don't justify us. They, they don't repair us. They don't rebuild us. They, they, they don't do the work that we needed. 
To be a Christian is to realize that our best achievements do nothing to justify us. It's easy to say that, but we need to let our heart just marinate on that. The best thing that you have ever done, the the feather in your cap, the, the thing that you are just proud of. Cool, it's great that you did that. Doesn't move the needle even a half a degree on your justification. Not at all. To brag about them is like a drowning man clutching a fistful of $100 bills and shouting, don't worry, I have money, I'll be okay. Literally doesn't work. No, Paul isn't saying that goals and achievements and heritage and whatnot are bad. He's not saying don't, don't have drive and don't, and don't do things. He's not saying that. He's saying the, 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 the footing at the cross is level. These things that we gain don't give us a special treatment or a special standing, and they don't, they don't put us over other people so that we can't cling to any of those and boast of our, over other people. We are all those without righteousness. So to stand at the foot of the cross and look down at other people and say, thank God I'm not like you is to misunderstand your justification. You have no foothold that places you above them, and neither do I. So what? Okay, don't be a bragger, a rude, brash, over-the-top, arrogant jerk. Like, check, done. Let's sing the other songs and we can go home. Well, there's more to it than that. The cross of Christ destroys the old person. When I say old person, we're talking about the heart and the ways and the motives that we had before Jesus, the, 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 the sin nature in us, to where praising, not boasting, becomes the activity of the justified heart. You hear that crucial swing? We move from boasters to praisers when our heart is made new. From the moment of salvation on, we hitch our hope no longer to ourselves. It's no longer to my name and what I do and what I get and what I earn and what do they think of me and and whether I'm in the the Columbia top 40 or any, my hope is in none of those things. It is hitched only to Jesus. Our hope and our security is transferred to him with our sin. Galatians 6, 14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of our boasting, our bragging, our confidence, our swagger gets put into Jesus and not us. Why? Because he's the only thing, one that has anything that's worthy of anything. He's the only one that had a righteousness to give us. He's the only one that could restore us, him, not us in Christ alone. I have anything that I have of eternal value. It's him. It's him. It's his glory. It's his mercy. It's his love. It's his beauty. It is his righteousness. This is why the reformers adopted the five solas by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, by scripture alone, for the glory of God alone I live. What does that mean? It's not by earning anymore. It's not by works anymore. It's not by me anymore. It's not by the rhetoric, idea, or ideologies of man anymore, and it's not for my glory anymore. It's him and him alone. No longer I, no longer me, no longer anything but Christ in me. Again, why? Why is this such a big deal? Why, why is he hammering it now? He's just like, he hit us with all the bad news and the bad news and the bad news. And you're like, I thought we were at the good news. Brings us to the second theme. Why? Unity. Boasting in ourselves destroys unity. Why? 
Look at the functional nature of boasting. To boast, you have to place yourself above someone. How does it feel when someone presses you down under them and says, hey, you're not as good as I am? Does it make you want to be united? Make you feel like friends? Does it make you feel like brothers? To boast is to functionally say, I don't care about unity. I care about feeling better than you. Verse 29. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. So back to the context. The Jewish believer would have struggled greatly with Paul's words back then. Remember, they called Gentiles dogs. Believe that they weren't like worthy of anything. And Paul says, is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? He's trying to show them like, hey man, that's your brother now. That's not, that's not, that's not dog anymore. That, that's your brother. Today we could hear it this way though. Is God the God of the Jews only? Well, we need to hear it as God the God of the Republicans only. Like, oh, that hits closer. Is God the God of the Democrats only? The Calvinists only? The Arminians only? Is God the God of the mask wearers only? Is God the God of the smart people who don't put masks on only? God of the vaccinators, unvaccinated? Push even closer to, to uncomfortability. Is God the God of the white church only? Is God the God of the mega church only? Is God the God of the reformed church only? Are, are we God's people? Is God the God of America only? Is he God of, of Hillsong's fans only? What, what, I don't know what your thing is. I don't know how you subdivide people. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know where your line is at the moment, but... The answer to all of that is no. There's no distinction any longer. He's, he's not the God of one anymore. We have to be so, so careful to not posture in a way that believes that we're better than other brothers and sisters. You hear that? And you hear this as well. We have to fight to make sure we don't believe this in our heart or say it out of our mouth. Just because you hold it in doesn't mean it's not there. We have to believe that we don't have the corner on theology. We'll probably get to the end and, and God will go like, hey, you didn't have it exactly right on that one thing. Like, oh. We don't have the corner on worship. We don't have the corner on politics. We don't have the corner on affiliations or denominations. And we certainly don't have the corner on being God's true people. See, God will justify people who practice faith the way that we do, and he'll justify people who don't. Now, they still need to believe in Jesus. There are non-negotiables. But our preferences aren't those non-negotiables. So we need to pause and back up. Is Paul saying nothing matters? Is he throwing theology out? and like, hey, just believe whatever. And in the face of unity, just don't, like, just don't say anything because that might be boasting. No. He's not saying that theology doesn't matter. He's not even saying that, politi- that politics don't matter. He's definitely not saying that what you view as sin or not as sin doesn't matter either. He's saying, be be careful not to think you're the only one who's right, though. Be careful not to think that everyone uh, that that doesn't do it like you is wrong or a villain or too stupid to get the right way to do things. See, be careful not to boast and divide and pick up stones to throw them at your brother and your sister. They're not your enemy, 
And they're your family in Christ. Whom one day you're going to sit at a banquet table with. We've got to be careful about viewing second and third hand issues as issues to divide over and fight over. True salvation should destroy divisions and bring about unity in our heart. Our relentless God is relentless for unity in his people, not in his reformed people, or whatever the caveat may be. This truth from Paul is needed now as much as it's ever been in our world. I wouldn't say more than back then, just it, it, it is as relevant right this moment as it, it's probably ever been. We needed to knock down racial preferences. We needed to stop dividing over issues that aren't gospel-related. It's ridiculous that we're dividing over things that has nothing to do with Jesus. We needed to stop chopping down other believers who are saved. We needed to stop making a hill to die upon on ideological issues, which just means our ideas and our preferences and the way that we see the world. See, the world should look at Christians and see radical diversity, not only in skin color, but thought process and ethnicity, and ideology, and preference of worship, and much more. Not a group of people who fights to the death over how communion should be given, or how do you treat COVID, and whether you should homeschool your kids, or whether kids should be in public school or or not, or, or any of that stuff. The cross should bring us together. We're no longer divided. We are in the family of God, no longer fighting. Now, on a practical level, I think we understand the head level, but practically, why do we need to make sure that we're praisers of Jesus and not boasters? Racism, elitism, tribalism, sexism, narcissism, all forms of what? Pride and boasting. Gone out of control. All those things form in micro and macro ways in our hearts over time. And the world is asking more than ever, believers and unbelievers, they're asking the same question, how do we destroy the isms? What will really work? What will stop the injustices? Because everyone feels like the pain of what all of those things have have caused. So we're all uh, somewhat united and those things need to stop. What, What will work though? We've tried cancel culture. How's that worked? Has it ended racism, sexism, narcissism? As far as I can tell. We've tried marches and rallies. Has that worked? No. We've tried politics and strategies and policies. Has that worked? No. Just made us in debt worse. We've tried information campaigns and teachings and podcasts and blogs and social media posts and Instagram posts. Has that worked? I don't think so. Why? Because canceling and shame and rallies and politics and info and blogs can do nothing to fix sin wedged in the human heart. Do you get that? Only Jesus, only the gospel can destroy pride. Hear this, not just their pride, my pride, your pride. Only the humility that comes from saturating yourself in the reality that we are sinners in need of a Savior. I have no shiny gift to bring. I have nothing to barter with. Only the resurgence of the gospel levels the playing field. So this means a couple of things. 
It means as a church body here and now, we need to constantly be transformed ourselves. Again, how weird would it be for Paul to be like, church, you can't boast, and us be like, yeah, the other churches can't boast. No, (laughs) we'll do this text again next week. We need to be transformed ourselves. And once we stop being transformed, we're definitely boasting, whether you see it or not. We were not perfect before salvation. Still not going to be perfect tomorrow either. We'll hit on this more in verse 31, but we have to be absolutely committed to gospel saturation continually to know that we are not finished works. There's more sanctification to be done. I don't look just like my Savior yet. Second, it means... God's plan for us to take evangelism more seriously is the only way to make a dent in division and hatred. Hear that? Because some of you are like, that's really idealistic. Okay. Or maybe is it faith? See, be careful, believer about thinking that your politics and social media posts and your podcast stream are the best way to change the world. Let that one sit there. Your voting, your your bumper sticker, your post, your rallying people to your cause or your thought process, your, your mindset, be careful. Biblically, those may not be bad things, but those don't fix the main thing. To put all of our hope into human strategies to fix problems of the soul is a form of unbelief. It's a belief that the gospel isn't strong enough to actually fix it, so I need to do these other things because only that will actually fix it. Jesus, you can't actually do this. I'm going to set you down, and I'm going to go do it. Be careful. Why does the church in the West, this includes us, look so foolish right now to so much of the world? We need to be honest about our history, about what we've seen. Whether we feel like we've played a part in it or not, we need to be honest because we're in the middle of it. We look like fools because so many of people have put all of their hope into human means to fix sin problems. They put their hope into Trump, conservatism, court justices, just to make sure that they don't do the one thing they don't want them to do. We made those the mountain to die upon which means that we have boasted in those things and put our eternal hope in those things when only Christ can fix the problem that humanity has. You hear that and you're like, yeah, hold up. More liberal side has put our, our, our belief in tolerance. Democrats, tr- crushing all things, Trump. Destroying the word evangelicalism. Telling how we could do Christianity better. And that too is a form of unbelief of putting your hope in man. The sad part is the world just sees the sons and daughters of the Most High throwing stones and hating each other, fighting battles to the bitter end. They don't see progress. They see, why would I want to join that family? They're worse than mine. we're fighting that bitterly over things that won't actually fix what needs to be fixing. We're fighting to the death over ideas, not gospel. There are things worth fighting for, friends. There are things that are not. 
And frankly, we look like fools instead of the light of the world because of what's happened over the last couple of years. I think we all have a little bit of ownership in this. Let's make more specific what this could and may have looked like. This is why Black Lives Matter and the convergence of George Floyd was such a sad and weird moment. Why? Some Christians felt like they couldn't say the truth that Black Lives Matter when they saw a man murdered in the street and a life choked out of him. Because they felt like it would somehow undermine their political leanings or their hope of how the world would be fixed. So a man died, they stood silently. When a man is dying, it doesn't matter what color his skin is, but when George Floyd died, you should have no problem saying a black life, ma- black life matters. Like, oh, you're getting political. I am not. That's a reality of the Imago Day, not of CRT, of Black Lives Matter, of liberalism, or anything else like that. A human being was having their life choked away, and ideologies made several people go, I ain't saying a thing. That's sad. On the counter side, we should be able to say Black Lives Matter as a reality and not agree and validate and throw our hope into all the things that the Black Lives Matter organization did. But again, Christians were unable to because they were more entrenched and and devoted to an idea or a political movement than uniting on truth. If that makes you uncomfortable, it's probably supposed to. If we want to be serious about seeing the biggest problems on earth fixed, then we have to get serious again about sharing the gospel once again instead of trying to destroy brothers and sisters. What in the world have we done? I think that we have to be humble enough to realize the truth. Nobody gets saved by your social media snark. Nobody. Nobody gets saved by your podcast or blog, a rude comment or alliance. But they could if you shared Jesus with an actual soul. That's just something we need to lament and not lament that other people did it. Probably need to lament and repent for what we've done. I felt really old. Brandon, somewhere around here going, you are old. Writing the sermon, it it just led me to think, uh, I sound like my grandpa. What's the answer to the greatest question we have, Jesus? I believe that to be true. The problem is we need to be recaptured by it because the the reality is we we actually haven't believed it to be true. Oh, Jesus is really good. He could do some good stuff, but he won't fix the stuff that needs to be fixing. That's what the heart has done. That's why the ideologies have grown so big. We need to be recaptured people to share him, not as elitists, but as hear this prayer-filled, 
humble recipients of grace. We want to see others receive the free gift that they get and, and didn't deserve. We want to see the kingdom of God come about more so that other people can be made brand new and rejoice in the family. Verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. We'll plumb into this question in greater detail in the coming months, but many ask if salvation is just faith, right? If you're only salvation alone through Christ alone, like let's really embrace that. Cool. Then let's ditch the law. No, 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 no. That's not what that means, right? It's just belief. Like if, if all you got to do is believe, does it mean that nothing else matters? Right, that one Little Caesars commercial. There's no rules. No, there's rules. Paul's answer is, of, of course not. That's not what it means. The law of God is still needed. He's talking about the, 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 the moral law, not the civil or the ceremonial law, the moral law. But yes, the, the law still very much matters because as we continue looking at it, we're going to face our continual need. Why? Again, we're not perfect. See, the law drives us to see our sin. It drives us to see the things that we still can't figure out or complete. And what does this do? It drives us back to Jesus. When you look at the law enough, you'll see where you still fall short of the glory of God. Now you can praise and say, but God has called me just and still drive you back to Jesus. But when you see the reality of where you still fall short, how will you boast? How will you boast? Do you want to not boast? Do you want to grow in true humility as you live? Do you want to have a life that leaves a legacy that looks more like Jesus? Then continually resaturate your heart and soul with Jesus' work for you. And a way to continue doing this is to see the law over and over and over again. You don't become gluttons of punishment. You just see, this is who I'm supposed to be coming more. And you say, but I'm not that yet. And then it drives you back. Well, thank God he is. See, boasting starts when we think we have it all figured out and we think we're right all the time. As we keep digging into the law and see the demands of God on humanity, it will train us on how to live. Slowly but surely, we'll grow in holiness. And again, like I said, when our weakness is exposed, with fresh grace, we'll run back to Jesus again. Thankfulness will be stirred in your heart. It will reignite the process of praise instead of boasting. Paul's main points here. Salvation by faith alone destroys our boasting. Ours and our heart and my heart and your heart, it destroys it. Salvation by faith alone destroys division and racism and strife because there is no distinction any longer. There's just brothers and sisters. And none of that means the law doesn't matter anymore. So we worship knowing Jesus did it all and paid it all. Here's the thing. If you've been struggling lately to believe that and you've been striving harder, thinking I've got, I've got to do this so God isn't mad, I've got to do this so I can, I can be okay, and your heart is just kind of anxiety has been just churning in it and you've tried to work harder, just think I've got to earn this place, and you can rest. You don't have to do that. Jesus did the work already, lay it down. In communion today, remember, he paid the price. That's why we take the bread. His body was broken. 
He did the work. We need a renewed moment. If you strive too hard, lay down your striving and run to Jesus in praise. If you've realized that boasting has wedged itself in your heart these last years, let's be honest, friends. I would say it's much, it's more likely that boasting has happened in the last couple years than not. But it's just something's been twisting it to your heart to where you feel better or more righteous or more holy or more together. We're just kind of looking down at other people. You're like, yeah, they're believers. They're just like, yeah, like junior varsity ones. The call is repent of that today. And not just figuratively in prayer, God, forgive me. We should love our brothers and sisters and not throw things at them. We need to understand the reality of we're not receiving maybe freedom from our sin because we're not confessing and repenting of it. Father, help me. Father, pride has grown. I don't even, I don't even know when it happened. Will you help me? Let me see the beauty of what you've done at the cross. Help unite me with my brother. Help unite me with my sister. See, boasting destroys things, and God wants to destroy that boasting. And don't leave today. That started in your heart. Pray. And let God bring you out of that. On the other side, if you've realized, man, I've put too much faith in, like, politics and other stuff and, like, ideologies, and it just really captured me. They repent of that today. Understanding you can care. You can work towards change. You can do great things, but just don't put your eternal hope in them or your greatest hope in them. Jesus may be calling you to lay down some things today that have given just too much hope to your heart and probably caused as a side effect some pride to ignite in you. And lastly, if you're here and you've not called out to Jesus to save you personally, just like we've been doing every week, I just ask you to. If your faith isn't in him for salvation, he is drawing you. He is available. He has done the work. You don't have to be better. You don't have to be smarter. You don't have to be more put together. You just have to put your faith in the work that he has already done, and he will save you. Man, we've been praying seriously in our missional communities, in our groups. God, save people. Save 20 people. Bring them to you. Bring households to you. Doesn't matter how long you've been with us, though. I would just say, don't delay. If you realize, man, I've never really called out to you, and I hope that you would today. Come and see that Jesus is good, and the Father will supply your needs and meet you right where you're at. You don't have to do anything else. I'd love to pray with you about that afterwards if you have questions about that. But I think we all have some appropriate actions that we could take today. God, help me believe in your work more. Forgive me for boasting, Lord. God, help me to put my faith in you instead of other things more, Lord. Draw me to you, Lord. It's an appropriate step for all of us. We're going to take communion today. If you'll stand with me, I'll read 1 Corinthians 11. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me in the same way he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
today as we sing songs, I just say there's cups in the, in the front way. You don't have to be a member to take. Just encourage you to remember the work that Jesus has done. He's paid it all. He has done it all. His righteousness is all for us. As you take, remember, his body was broken. You don't have to keep beating yourself up. And his blood is what lets you be called just and holy in front of a holy God. Take that in and let your heart be built up in that today. Every need you have has been supplied in Christ. Thank him for that as you take. Let's pray, God. I I pray that you would do your work in us. We need you. Lord, we need you to continue to saturate us with your goodness. We just ask and lament the fact that we have played a part and so many have played a part in just battling other brothers and sisters. Help us. Help us, Lord. We repent. We lay down our weapons. Lord, give us unity whether it be brothers and sisters in our own body or others, Lord, give us unity. We pray that you would do a work, Holy Spirit, bring about something that we could never do. We need you. Jesus, remind us of who we are. Called holy only because of you. I pray that you would do that. Draw us to believe in you more. Lord, and I pray that through this we would not only be resaturated with your grace and mercy, but that we would be emboldened to share. Your mercy isn't just what saves us, it's what can save our neighbor, our coworker, our mothers, our fathers, our friends, Lord. Give us unity, Lord. Give us mission, Lord. Lord, and I pray that you add to your family. We love you. Thank you for your patience and kindness with us, God. Holy Spirit, come, draw near to every soul. May we see your love in a fresh way this morning.